1: Hey, time for a standing ovation. Yeah, uh, yeah. This man, gold yeah. medalist in Athens. A lot of people would say Athens is maybe the greatest Olympics of all time. Uh, you could find an argument about Sydney, but so many people loved Athens. Come on, guys. You're embarrassing me now. You've yeah. got to sit down. I'm uh, waiting for someone to come don't in. Forget, you like to get up forget, he wore the leader's jersey. He's very humble. In all of the grand tours. So, you know, put that in perspective. Uh, well, hence the yellow is his favourite colour. Yeah, it's a standing ovation. <laughs> Brad McGee, OAM. Uh, Welcome to Saturdays on the Coast.
0: My pleasure, Steve. And uh, Moose, are we we going with Moose? Because no one knows your real name. (laughs) No, I don't have one.
2: (laughs) I can talk about that later,
1: but I'll go with Moose. If you say Ian, it means I'm in trouble. (laughs) Oh, well, welcome to the Central Coast. Uh, Have you spent much time up here over the years?
0: Look, my daughter spent two years up here um, before moving on to university, and we got to know the coast um, with some friends up there, there at the entrance. And just driving along the coast this morning, you know, to hear... Year. It was just stunning. I, I live in the bush bit down in Southern Highlands, and some of these like small acreage, you know, just just inside from the coastline, are just absolute gold. I, I can't, I can't deny it. I was looking, there's a few for sale signs, and I'm like, oh, look at that.
1: Yeah, well, you get a lot of bang for your buck if you sold in the Southern Highlands and yeah. moved up here. Hey, we'll talk a lot about uh, your career, obviously, but you were fist pumping for Parramatta.
0: Absolutely, I uh, am. And, and actually, we had this conversation last night. Um, Spencer who's up there talking now on the on the panel. Um, he was amazed, like, you know, why. Parramatta and I had to tell him you know, well I'm born in Wentworthville i trained in Parramatta Park I'm a life member of the Parramatta Cycling Club and I was you know in that very impressionable age when Parra was actually winning so uh, <laughs> and last night was just absolutely gold you know they they. Tend just to rise for the big ones and let it slip when it's apparently going to be a bit easy so yeah some frustrations there
1: when they were winning 81, 82, 83 and 1986 it was a very
0: special time it was when my dad would move the TV into the living room from the TV (laughs) room. that was like this is a special occasion this is a special occasion
1: (laughs) Uh, what about favourite players?
0: Oh look, yeah, who was it? Yeah, um, Cronin Kenny um, Pricey. Uh, Pricey. Uh, the story is that my parents actually met in uh, Pricey's old man's backyard. Now, uh, my <laughs> father was apparently holding up one of the. Um uh, the clotheslines, you know, in, a, in Backyard Barbecue, that sort of thing. So, you know, there's a, there's a bit of uh, history in there. And, um, you know, you, oh, we just, every year I say it, but this has got to be the year, Parra. Come yeah. on. Yeah,
1: well, after last night, you've got to start to believe again. Yeah. After last week in the top end, mm. you maybe think that it uh, might not be Parramatta's year. Hey, so have you met Michael Butner?
0: I don't believe I have.
1: Well, Butes is looking forward to spending yeah. a bit yeah. of time. We'll, we'll, look we'll warn to, yeah. you on, on air. He's we'll, looking forward to spending a bit of time with you yeah. this afternoon and tonight. Yeah. So, we should yeah. come up with a signal where you want to escape from Butes. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> hey, one thing Butts did say a few moments ago on the show, he'd like to find out about your backstory. Mm. Like we see the gold medals, but you mentioned about where it started. Life member of Parramatta Cycling Club. So, uh, tell us more about those early days.
0: So, um, the McGee boys, I'm um, one of four, the youngest, the baby boy, um, essentially we just into everything, um, every sport going, and my two elder brothers were very talented in, you know, golf, tennis, squash, all that sort of stuff, my young, uh, my, my closest sibling, Rod, we were sort of a little bit taller, a bit leaner, a bit more endurance orientated, so everything was a game, every, you know, there was footy in the backyard, cricket, you know, everything out in the front, um, we'd make up optical courses and have BMX chasing races and you know, it was literally go bananas until the, the street lights come on and uh, get home before mum gives us a cracking because, you know, it's getting dark.
2: So, Brad... That, like,
0: that was early days, yeah. During,
2: during those 40 years. years... You'd, what's a training day look like for you? What did that look like when you were a young?
0: Yeah, young I, was, I was very, I've got to say, you know, for of a better term, very well managed um, as a young fellow. I wasn't allowed to train until a certain age. I was about 15 until I did any official formal training or had was a that training program. Was that your coach? So my dad was my first coach. Uh, didn't last long. As soon as I could beat him up a hill, he's like, we've got to find <laughs> you a real coach.
2: <laughs> yeah, dad's going fishing. <laughs> yeah.
0: And uh, so enter JB, um, John Beatty. Um, you know, rest in peace, JB, but he was absolute gold um, as a pure club coach, 100% dedicated to the cause, fully, you know, the time commitment that he made, reflecting back now, I just thought it was a given, you know, just for him to find the time of what he put in as a club coach and, and the level of coaching and just the accuracy of his coaching, depending on the needs was absolutely spot on.
2: So now in your role with N-Swiss, looking after coaches, do you reflect back on the John Beatty lessons, how absolutely. you coach your own cohort of people?
0: Yep, I've got JB's photo there at my desk at N-Swiss um, as nice. a constant reminder. Um, just, yeah, again, like it's, it's about adapting to the athlete's needs and knowing that. Um, it's not about you, the coach, it's about the athlete.
1: If you talk to swimming coaches these days, in the old days, like back in the 1980s, it was all about volume. So mm. they do maybe up to 20Ks per day. Has that changed in cycling? Were there yeah, absolutely, yeah. big numbers back in the 80s and look, less now?
0: Look, there was. I came through the Charlie <laughs> Walsh days, you know, the AIS, and it was really just just numbers game. You know, we'd start every season with about 20-odd 20, 20 riders, and if there was five left at the end of the year to do World Championships, you needed four in a reserve. Then he done, you know, for, you know, the job was done, and that was just the the culture at the time. Um, whoever survived was, you know, obviously pretty good.
2: Yeah, Darwinian <laughs> theory comes through in the yeah, early days of coaching, but oh,
0: uh, you just got to ask the question: how many, you know, how many. Quality bike riders and athletes to be lose for that system so what you're finding today in the professional ranks is that actually the volume has come right down but it's really polarized training so you're either out there doing the, the really big long stuff or short and really punchy um in that and that's increasing the capabilities increasing the the the, the lifespan of athletes as well i retired at 32 and that was about normal back then um, after ten years, sort of on the on the big circuit, um, but these days, you know, they're they they going right through that. It's about halfway these days.
1: Yeah, well, look at Kelly Slater so in surfing, <laughs> uh, Cameron Smith in rugby league, yeah. uh, and Brad. What's a day at Ensworth for you look like? Like
0: so, my role now, I'm 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 officially a coach advisor, um, for want of a better term, to be honest. I'm there to support our high performance coaches. Um, I'm there to, to enable uh, and and try to provoke some perspective and some some thinking, stimulate some thinking in the coach just to get them reflecting on their practices. Um, and, you know, that can be through conversation, that can be through video feedback, uh, etc. cetera. So, um, and I'm also there to, to connect coaches. So, um, you know, what we need is a platform for our coaches to practice and rehearse. You know, it's, it, yes, it's a performance when you're with the athletes, but, you know, where's the coach training come in for it? So that's largely my, my role now is to, to promote that.
1: Brad, my very next question is about 1984. So Los Angeles, I watched some grainy video footage last night, and you've been quoted many times as saying, really, that's where the inspiration came from, including an 18-year-old, Dean Woods.
0: Absolutely. Um, Woodsy, we've just lost Woodsy to the cycling and sporting and Australian community, and um, we wish all the best for his family. What an outstanding human being and and super talented young athlete. Um, But I remember specifically watching that that event, I would have been, you know... um, or but eight years old. So uh, again, the old man, Olympics. He brought the TV into the, into the into the living room, so it was a special occasion, and we sat up and watched that that race. We didn't know the McGees didn't know much about cycling at that time, but it was very impressionable, and um, yeah, that uh, that uh, that spiked something that didn't come to fruition until we got the goal back in in two thousand
2: and four. Uh, you use that term impressionable. How important is that for for up and coming athletes to have that type of role model personal? Personal approach.
0: Yeah, I don't think that will ever go away. Um, you know, uh, I can remember you know visiting athletes to to uh, to school at primary level. And that was impressionable as well. I think you know the. I think there's that that. Understanding that athletes young potential athletes are you know open um, uh, open books if you, if you like, and what can we do about promoting that uh, and stimulating that that uh, that deep drive and motivation? Um, you know, I think we can do things and rather than just uh, wait for it to happen by um, by chance
1: it's a good question, moose, because I remember seeing an interview with oh, a speech from Kurt Fernley, and he said one day on Australia Day his dad dragged him into the lounge room and he said he quoted, "I saw these gladiators in wheelchairs, and suddenly there was hope for me.
0: Oh, what a wonderful story there um, If anyone hasn 't read uh, kurt's book i 'd suggest you do um, and he he details you know that that moment that he just you know basically just unleashed uh, you know it just opened up his whole world um, to what was possible um." <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's what sport brought him.
1: Also in that speech, he says a couple of things over and over. He said, I saw a teacher that believed I was more than an HSC mark. I saw a mm-hmm. coach that thought I could be the best in the world and he was willing to be with me every step of the way. Mm-hmm. So who's the first person that believed in you?
0: Um, I'm not going to say a person. I would say the Parramatta Cycling Club as a community. Um,
1: well, that's a great story
0: yeah. in itself. And it really was and remains to today. And, you know, I, I, uh, you know I've, I'm removed from the area now, but um, I recognise as I'm sort of ageing that, um, that it's time to give back, Brad, um, and promote, you know, the, the next gens coming through that club level. But it was the community of the Paramedic Cycling Club built that belief.
2: We were speaking a little bit off air, Brad, just about talent transfer, and you mentioned, you know, rowers looking at, at cycling. Just give us a touch on, on that type of uh, <laughs> element of, of your role.
0: Uh, yeah absolutely so you know what we we know is um that young athletes sampling different sports you know as they're as they're generating um and and, and promoting their talents is is really uh can lead to that sort of ongoing long term sustainable success. Up until very recently, I believe that was purely physical. You know, it kind of makes sense. If I'm doing multiple sports, I'm building up this robust physical nature, I'm going to be less likely prone to injury and I might get a bit stronger and more able to move in the gym, therefore performance benefits. But what's just come to my attention is it's actually sampling those different social environments is equally important to the growth and maturity of our young athletes. And so we can get, you know, that just opened my mind up. It doesn't need to be uh, sport-orientated. It can just be moving around in these different groups. That said, you know, what we're talking about with rowing, um, you know, we've often been aware that rowers become very good bike riders. And, uh, you know, it's actually, you know, uh, I'm not even joking, but, you know, Essentially, you need to love pain in those sports. <laughs> yeah. um, you have know, a very healthy relationship with pain at the least. Well, um, I've
1: never seen a more painful finish to a race than when, I think it's Mahe Drysdale won. Uh, what a superstar, the Kiwi. And they just uh, they just collapsed out of the boat afterwards. Oh, right, yes.
0: Yeah, have you ever been like, in a boat? I, I do a bit of work with the sprint canoeists as well. And um, the fact that they <laughs> can hold form and not fall in when they're under such load, the lactate must just yes. come through their eyeballs, their cross-eyed, you know. And they've got a whole to hold form to maintain that pace, uh, yeah.
1: Can you believe we haven't spoken about the Tour de France, the Giro, de, <laughs> Giro d'Italia or the Spanish Grand, Grand Tour? You wore the leader's jersey in all of those events. Actually, the Giro d'Italia started overnight, is that correct? It would have, yeah. I,
0: actually, yeah, I didn't see the results. i better get on yeah. uh, cycling. I'm yeah. uh, about to throw you under the bus. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah,
1: you know, you've been quoted as saying that the Australians during that period were like a real family. Yeah. And, also, when you're inducted into the Hall of Fame, you said about a brotherhood, and mm. a couple of words that I really love, you know, safe, encouraging environment. Mm,
0: absolutely. Um, you know, when I first turned pro, it was still very much a European sport. French was the main language, Italian second, um, English was a distant, you know, um, uh, add-on at the time. It's taken over these days, It's very much changed. So the Aussie used to congregate down the back of the peloton, and there'd be some great yarns and stories, and <laughs> you know, and and no one understood anything we were saying either so it was like we had our own little bubble um, and it was just some fantastic times you know and uh, the racing is hard and tough but there were those moments we could really connect and, and share a few stories it was I've gold i've
2: often on this show spoken about just australian sporting traits and why australian sportsmen and women are so valued in you mm. know overseas teams same in your sport
0: absolutely and that that sort of grew from there and uh, after a while you know through Definitely through my 10 or 11 years as a pro, you found a lot of the teams were engaging with at least a couple of Aussies to bring in that cultural piece that the Aussies tended to bring. It's, you know, you put in, you it's, you, you deliver, you share, you know, it's, it's about the team first and I think that's what the Aussies brought to these pro teams was, you know, that sense of team first and and, um, and I second.
2: What do you think builds that Australian culture in our sporting teams? Yeah,
0: I don't know. I think back in the time, you know, catchphrases were like, you know, you, you put in you, you, you give um, yeah, I'm thinking of, you it's know, that Anzac mentality I, I, think I think so yeah just you know, um, you know just that, that work ethic you know um, that sort of um.
1: you, you actually come through a period of some of the greatest teams we've ever seen so, mm. so yourselves uh, you were talking about rowing so the awesome forces uh, yeah. are coming through at the same time. Yeah. You know, Kerry Potthast just arrived, uh, along with uh, Natalie. Now Cook. we can stand up. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, another, another standing O coming yeah, up straight yeah, away. Absolutely. Well, let's not forget our rugby league team, our rugby union team, mm. through, through that period as well. So, mm. you know, you guys are on that platform as arguably, well, Don't even argue. The greatest teams we've ever produced. And it
2: was a great era for Australian sport. And and I just think those cultural (laughs) elements transport across
1: those different teams as well. Well, well, it's one of the beauties of having you back at the coalface.
0: I think things to recognise, and if you don't mind, I'll just reflect on our recent Tokyo experience. Um, I I feel we we started to get back there, certainly in the the environment I was in with road cycling there at Mount Fuji area. Um, What... If you ask a lot of non-Australians, in, in particular our New Zealand cousins, um, what's, what's wrong with the Aussies in sport, they'll tell you we're too competitive. And my, my reflection going into Tokyo and coming out was, you know, because of the, the COVID uh, pandemic and the extension, you know, we're actually, you know, the group I was with, we're just really happy to be there and actually get the chance to compete. We still competed bloody hard and we went for it and it was success. Um, but I dare say we actually enjoyed it a little bit more too. It was just that shift from it's all about the performance and performance only to actually just enjoying the, the experience, the journey, the people you were there with. Yeah, and smell that was the gold. roses yeah. on the way. So yeah. we've had that in the past, and I think somewhere along the lines we've got overawed with the, the need to perform and, and win. And, and rather than just recognise that you're connecting and, and engaging with people, building relationships and experiencing things together.
1: Hey, uh, we're on our way to the news. Uh, do you want to stay and be a part <laughs> of the uh, conversation with Kerry Pothast? I, would...
0: I will stay for the standing ovation, absolutely, <laughs> and, and wherever else you'd like me to, to contribute. Yep, uh, i tell you,
1: it's, it's so awesome to meet you this morning. Uh, I'm but a bit...
2: Steve, how humble. Yes. Your CV in sport, what you're doing now with the up-and-coming coaches, the time you're committing back to the sport, yet you're still so very humble. We just are very privileged that you're here with us at this conference. Yeah,
1: my
0: pleasure. And, um, yeah, I think there's some really exciting things to come out of this conference. Um, As, you know, I I can see more of of this this type of engagement. That's definitely the way forward.